0: Hi, everyone. It's Pastor Scott, and I am really excited to be here and sharing God's Word today. And let me start by just saying um, I want to wish you all a happy and healthy 2021. I hope that this year is going well for for all of you. And I've been praying blessings and speaking blessings in favor over my family. And I speak that over to you wherever uh, wherever you're hearing this message this morning. And we've been in a series. We've been in the book of Hebrews. We've been in a great series called Just Better. And um, Pastor Joe did a great job last week. He was talking about Hebrews chapter 12. And today we're gonna pick up uh, right where he left off. I'm gonna be in Hebrews chapter 12. And the name of my message, today. The title is A Better Way of Living, A Better Way of Living. So let's go ahead and start. I'm going to start by reading Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 and 15. And I'm reading from the New King James Version, Hebrews 12. It says, pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this, many become defiled. Let's go ahead and open in prayer. Lord, we thank you, God, for your grace and for your mercy. Lord, we pray that as we open your word, Lord, that you would open our minds and our hearts uh, to receive the truth that's within your word. Lord, we pray, God, that this would not just be information that we're gathering today, but we pray that a transformation would take place in each of our hearts and lives, and we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, again, like I said, the title of my message is A Better Way of Living. A Better Way of Living. And today I want to talk about um, avoiding a root of bitterness. Because I see that term in verse 15. It says, Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this, many become defiled. So... um, we're going to talk about this root of bitterness, but I, I want to raise the question, what is a root of bit, bitterness? And I think that the author of Hebrews here is making an allusion um, to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 29 verse 18, it talks about the people of God. Some of them were turning away from God and they were following idols. And he says that he referred to that as a root bearing bitterness. So many believe that the author of Hebrews here is making an allusion to that portion of scripture. Um, uh, in Hebrew culture, a bitter plant was known as a poisonous plant. And for somebody to turn away from God would be looked at as a poisonous activity, right? It would poison the community of God. And here, in Hebrews, they're talking about the sin of bitterness being that same, has that same kind of poisonous effect on the community of God. So, in Ephesians chapter 4, it says, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you. And I think that's the context here that the author of Hebrews is, is giving us. So, I want to talk about the poisonous sin of bitterness, unforgiveness, and resentment this morning. So I don't necessarily consider myself a bitter person, um, but I've had my moments in, um, where I've been offended probably a little too easily than uh, I'd like to admit. And um, there was one incident that I'm not necessarily proud of, but I'm going to share it. And I remember when me and my wife had just gotten married and um it's been 20 years now. So um, we were going on a double date with another couple, and it was around Christmas time, so we were going to go and look at Christmas lights. So I had met the girl but never met the guy, and um, I remember uh, we decided, hey, we're going to get some coffee, bundle up, go look at Christmas lights. Looks like a sounds like a fun night, right? So we um, show up. We meet and Cindy go get our, our coffees, and I have, uh, she gets a latte. I get my coffee, and we pull up to the neighborhood, um, I get out, and I'm opening. Her door, and as I'm getting out, I set my coffee down, which is probably a bad call right then. But I set my coffee down on the curb, come around, open her door. And as I'm doing that, the couple walks up, and the guy, unknowingly, it was totally an accident, walks up and accidentally kicks my coffee over and it falls on the ground. And he said, and I said, Well, it was kind of like it happened in slow motion because as I saw him out of the corner of my eye, I go, My coffee, and he's like, Oh, that was yours? That stinks. That was yours. That stinks. That was his response. No, I'm sorry. Um, Can I get you another coffee? Let me go get you one. Not that I would have expected him to do that um, and I would have turned it down, but he never said sorry. And I probably. Let that bother me a lot more than it should have. And now I first, let me just say, I have issues with coffee. I have issues with caffeine. And that was like gonna be the highlight of you tell that story without coffee, and it's a whole different thing than when you're telling it with coffee and you're walking around looking at lights and that warm coffee, and I had this expectation of how amazing it was gonna be. And I let that ruin my night. I don't get when I get upset, I don't get angry or like uh, I, I kind of go. Revert inward and just get quiet. And I don't think I said two words the whole night. I was just quiet, and Cindy kept saying, "Are you okay?" I'm fine. She's like, "You want my latte?" And I wanted to play the victim. I'm like, "No, it's okay. I'll just, just, I don't need it." And and um, here's the point. That that coffee was two dollars and fifty cents. And I let that ruin my night. And I wasn't angry towards this guy or, you know, wanted anything ill to happen to him at all. He was probably an amazing guy. We actually didn't know them that well. And um, I'm trying to remember if we even hung out again after that. It wasn't because of that. But his name came up a couple times. And you know what? Whenever his name came up, I'd throw a little jab and go, oh, yeah, that's the guy that kicked my coffee over. And I held on to it for a really long time. I was bitter about it. Um, the Lord's done a work in me. That was, again, 20 years ago. And I try not to hold on to bitter and petty things like that. But we've all kind of done that, right? We've had our moments where um, we're bitter or we're petty. We, we, we hold on to petty things maybe longer or more than we want to really admit. And, um, but the reality is not all things and offenses are petty. There are things that happen in life to us that can be hurtful, harmful, and even destructive uh, things that have been done to, to us. And we have a choice. Um, we have a choice how we respond in all those circumstances. And um, that brings me to my first point for this morning, and that's bitterness is a choice. Bitterness is a choice. We can't control the actions of others. We can't control how um, people are going to treat us or what they're going to say. But we can control our attitude and our response to those actions, right? There's a great quote attributed to uh, Charles Swindoll, Pastor Chuck Swindoll. I love this. And it's uh, about attitude. And he says this, The longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than facts. It's more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures, than successes, than what other people think, say, or do. It's more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. It'll make or break a company, a church, a home. The remarkable remarkable thing is that every day we have a choice regarding the attitude we embrace for that day. We cannot change our past, We cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play the one string we have, and that is our attitude. Now, this is the part that I really like. It says, I'm convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. And so it is. We are in charge of our attitudes. Think about that statement. Life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. What a powerful statement. I think there's a lot of truth into that. And we, can, we, we have choices, right? We can't control all of life's circumstances, but we definitely can control how we react to those circumstances. We can control our attitude and our response when all those things come up. Um, and again, like I said, bitterness is a choice, we can choose to live in bitterness. Do you remember the story uh, in Ruth about Naomi? And uh, Naomi had suffered some some true hardship. She had lost her husband. She had lost her two sons. And um, even in the midst of that, I, I can't even imagine the pain and sorrow that she went through. But she made a choice. When she came home, since so she went to her hometown of, of Bethlehem. And when she arrived there, they said, oh, look, it's Naomi. And Naomi means pleasant. And she said, don't call me Naomi or don't call me pleasant. She said, but call me bitter, which is, or Mara. Mara means bitter. And she said, don't call me that. Call me Mara. Call me bitter because the Lord has dealt harshly with me. So nobody was denying that um, she had suffered uh, just a really painful and hurtful situation, but she made a choice at that moment that she was going to choose bitterness. Call me Mara. And today I want to talk about the Bible saying that there's a better way to live better than bitter. And I was almost called out the name of my message, Better Than Bitter, because there is a choice and there's a better way to live than being in bitterness. So today I want to look at the scriptures and I want to look at someone who chose to live in bitterness. And I also want to see if uh, the Bible has some advice, which it does, on how we can avoid making that same mistake. So in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 15, again it had said that a root of bitterness can cause trouble and cause many to be defiled. And I, I, I think I found a good portion of scripture that really points that out and highlights that of somebody who allowed bitterness to cause lots of trouble and defile those around them. So I'm going to be in Mark Chapter 6, verse 16 through 29. Mark, chapter 6, verse 16 through 29. And we're going to be reading from the New King James. And this is a story about King Herod and a lady named Herodias. And you may be familiar with this. Um, We're going to take a look and see uh, uh, how this applies to the topic of bitterness. In verse 16, it says, But when Herod heard, he said, This is John whom I beheaded. He has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself, had sent and laid hold of John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias. Notice that that's going to be important. For the sake of Herodias, he bound John and put him in prison. His, uh, uh, for his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. And because John uh, had said to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Therefore, Herodias held it against him and wanted to kill him. But she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just and holy man, And he protected him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. Then an opportune day came when Herod on his birthday gave a feast for his nobles, the high officers, and the chief men of Galilee. And when Herodias' daughter herself came in and danced, it pleased Herod and those who sat with him. And the king said to the girl, Ask me whatever you want, and I'll give it to you. And he swore to her, Whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. So she went and said to her mother, what shall I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. Immediately she came in with haste, and the king asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, yet because of the oath and because of those who sat with him, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought. And he went and beheaded him in prison. And brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. What a disturbing story if we really think about these details. Um, But I think this is a good picture of uh, allowing a root of bitterness to cause spring up and cause trouble. And and ultimately defile not just yourself but those around you. So I wanted to look at it. Um, So this story, let me kind of summarize. Is about a king named King Herod. And King Herod... um, basically takes his brother's wife. He has a brother named Philip. Her, his wife's name is Herodias. He takes his brother's wife, which is adultery. So John the Baptist, who's a righteous man, who's a prophet at this time, basically calls him out and says, look, that's unlawful. You can't do that. You can't have your brother's wife. Um, and because he did that and, and confronted him on his sin, um, it really, it probably upset John, but I think that he actually, I mean, it uh, king Herod, but I think it uh, uh, affected Herodias more because it says he bound John, put him in prison. In verse 17, for the sake of Herodias, so she was probably in his ears. You know, she didn't like him and said, "You got to get that guy out of here, put him in prison." So she, he, John, uh, the king, puts John in prison for Herodias' sake. It says, and while he's in there, in verse 19, it says Herodias held it against him and wanted to kill him. She held it against him. I like in the uh, the ESV and the NASB it says she held a grudge. She held a grudge. And in my favorite translation of that that I really think kind of shed some light is uh, in the NIV it says, so Herodias nursed a grudge against John. That word, she nursed a grudge. Because when I think of nursing something, I think of a baby, right? You have this little baby and you nurse it. And what happens? It grows and it matures and it develops. And here it says she's nursing this grudge. So she's feeding this grudge. She's feeding into it. She's thinking about it. And she's letting this, this anger and bitterness within her spring up. And as it's doing that, there's a rage inside her that she wants John dead. But Herod wouldn't, wouldn't allow it. But then an opportune time came and said where the, the king has this party and Herodias has a daughter. We don't know her name. She comes in and then she dances for the king and his guests. And it pleased the king. So the king makes this statement. Think about this statement. It says, whatever you want, I'll give it to you. Up to half my kingdom. Now, Herod had a lot of riches and property and wealth. Up to half the kingdom is a lot. To me, right then and there, I'd say, yeah, I'll take that, half the kingdom, give it give it to me. And, and the way my mind thinks, I know that there was like some huge lottery, I don't know if somebody won or not, but I always think like, you know, if I ever won that and I came into all this thing, I'd buy everybody a house, right? I'd buy my mom and dad a house, my kids a house, you know, my grandkids. It would, that coming into that kind of wealth would change, could change your family line. Here she had this opportunity to receive property and wealth and all these things that could really set... Um, uh, her family lineup for years. Could you imagine if you were able to buy every one of your kids a house uh, and grandkids and just debt-free and live? This would be such a blessing to a family line. Rather than taking the stuff, which would go with half a kingdom, you know, and whatever that would entail, she says, she goes to her mom and says, what should I ask? Rather than taking that, the mom says, you know what? I want John the Baptist dead. More than anything, any material possession, her greatest thing, she was nursed that grudge to a point where more than anything, she wanted this man dead. And I think even as this story applies to uh, that verse that we looked at in Hebrews 12 about a bitterness uh, growing up and causing trouble and defiling people, here we see now it defiling not just Herodias, but her daughter because now they both have the blood of a prophet on their hands. Um, she, the mom's hatred of this man manifested so much that now her daughter has the blood of John the Baptist on her hands as well. This truly is an example of bitterness, um, a bitter root, uh, growing in, in this grudge, getting nursed to a place that it caused trouble and ultimately ended in the defilement of Herodias and her daughter, and they will always, forever, every time we read the story, have the blood of John the Baptist with Herod on um, their hands. So um, so second thing I want to talk about is how do we avoid a root of bitterness? We see in this story them going down that path and her nursing that grudge, but how do we avoid that? How do we avoid this root of bitterness? And if you have bitterness, um, how do you remove the bitterness or uproot it? And this is tricky Because um, many people are unaware that they're bitter. Bitter, uh, Bitterness can come from a past hurt or disappointment, um, an unmet expectation. And it can be deep in the heart. and And we don't even know. I'm reminded of uh, when I was 19 years old and I had first come to the church, there was a, uh, I think it was a midweek service. It was a night service. And they were doing some ministry time at the end of the service. And they said, if anybody wants to come up and give prayer, come on up. And so the band was playing real light and, you know, people were getting prayed over. And I went up there and was waiting to uh, receive and for someone to come over and pray over me. And As I was there, somebody came up and they put their hand on top of my head and I was getting ready. I'm like, oh, this is going to be good. Speak a blessing over me. What were they going to say? And they said this. They said, you have bitterness and unresentment and you need to forgive. And I was kind of like taken back for a second. And then within a moment, right after they said that, the Holy Spirit just revealed to me exactly what and who it was that I had these feelings toward. But I'm being honest, I did not know. I thought there were some things that had happened. I thought I had released it and let it go. And the way I knew it was uh, the Lord is that I just started bawling like a baby. And I'm not, I don't cry very often. Not that I'm proud of that. It's just not, I don't watch Hallmark movies and cry. I'm not overly sensitive uh, on those type of things. As I've gotten older, I have become more sensitive and I find myself, you know, tearing up more than, than I was when I was 19, 20 years old. But I knew it was the Lord because I just could not stop weeping. And the Lord uh, allowed me to deal with some things that night that really was, was healing and allowing me to move forward and all that God had for me. Um, but the Bible gives us some good advice on how to eliminate or avoid this root of bitterness if we have it. And I want to look at uh, two portions. The Apostle Paul gives us some advice in Ephesians and Colossians, first in Ephesians 4. And I love these two ver- uh, sections of Scripture because it's very practical. Paul tells us what to do, and then he tells us how to do it. So first, what to do in Ephesians 4, verse 31. And then he's going to give us the how to do it in verse 32. And in verse 31, he says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you so, without, with all malice. So he basically tells us what to do. Put the stuff away. And then in verse 32, he tells us how to do it. One another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Interesting. He tells us, you know, to be be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving, and then makes an appeal to what God has done for you and for me. Interesting. In Colossians chapter 3. 3, verse 8, we see something very similar. He says, but now you yourselves are to put off all these. And he gets into this list, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language. And then if we go down to verse 12 and 13, he says kind of the same thing. He tells us how to do that. He said, therefore, being the elect of God, verse 12, and holy and beloved. Then he tells us, put on tender mercies, Kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing one with one another, and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against each other. And then it says, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. So again, making this appeal to what God has done. God has forgiven us in Christ, and it's like, now he's appealing to us. And notice this phrase, he said, so you also must do. Even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Which brings me to my second point. Forgiveness is not optional forgiveness is not optional. Forgiveness is not optional because it's at the heart of the gospel. right? The gospel is about God forgiving us, reconciling us, saving us, redeeming us, rescuing us in Christ at the cross through his death, burial, and resurrection. God, he forgave us our sins in Christ. Ephesians says, in him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins. In Colossians 2, it says, he made us alive together with him having forgiven you all All trespasses. I emphasize the all. So all this forgiveness um, for us in Christ. Forgiveness is at the heart of the gospel. And God wanted to keep it always in front of us. So it was always on our mind and always remembering what he had done for us in Christ. In fact, when Jesus taught us to pray, and we're familiar with the, uh, uh, which should be part of our daily, they asked him, Lord, how should we pray? And he gives what we call the Lord's Prayer, which is a model. It's a prayer model on really how we should structure our, our prayer life. And built into that is the topic of forgiveness. And we know that prayer, right? Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. As we forgive our debtors. Forgiveness was built in. It's supposed to be built into our our daily prayer life. It should be part of our life that's always there. And Jesus gave us also some uh, some stern warnings on the topic of unforgiveness. In Matthew 6, verse 14 and 15, he says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Can I, can I be honest with you? I don't, I don't like that verse. It's not my favorite, right? And I know it's not yours probably too because I don't see it on the back of your t-shirt or a coffee cup, right? We have these life verses like Jeremiah 29, 11. We love these promises. And there's certain verses that we hold on to, put them on a bumper sticker, again, a coffee cup, something. But you you don't see people quoting this one that much. We don't hold on this one or hold it dear to our heart um, because it kind of confronts us, right? It kind of confronts us. If you do not forgive Others, their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you. Now, I want to stop and pause for a second because I don't want this to, to turn into some type of misunderstanding of what's really being said here because we're saved by grace through faith, through trusting in Jesus Christ. So it wasn't that if all of a sudden I was this forgiving person and this loving or kind person, I could somehow earn or merit God's forgiveness and salvation. That's not what's going on here though. So there's got, how do I reconcile these? And I think if we look into the Bible, it's going to give us some clarity on, on, on really the heart of what God is saying here. So um, we need to gain some insight into this topic of unforgiveness. And by doing that, we need to see it the way God sees it. Let me say that again. We need to see unforgiveness the way God sees it through his eyes. And that may help us understand some of these things. So I have uh, a familiar portion of scripture for many of us, but I think that in this portion of scripture, we can really see the heart and why unforgiveness is so... um, It's not compatible with. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 through 35, um, there's a parable. It's called the parable of the unforgiving servant. And I'm going to read this portion of scripture and then make a couple points because I think we we really can get some insight into how God sees unforgiveness in, in this portion of scripture. Notice in verse 21, it says, then Peter came and said to him, and I just want to point that out, that this is not to the crowd per se, or not to some unbelievers. This is Peter asking this question. That's going to be important at the end, because in Jesus' response, we have to remember he's saying this to Peter. So he says, and he says, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And Jesus said to him, No, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle the accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, just pausing really quick. 10,000 talents, um, depending on which commentary or Bible teacher you're listening, um, they all may differ slightly on how big this amount this debt really was, but everybody would agree that what what Jesus is saying here is this is an unpayable debt. So I guess it would be like me saying, hey, you know, try to tell you a story about an unpayable debt and maybe even using a little hyperbole, but saying like $6 billion, you know, something where it's like, okay, yeah, wow, I can never pay that back. It's an unpayable debt. And then back to our story here in verse 25, it says, But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payments be made. And it said, The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But when that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and that's a payable debt. Um, Most of the commentators say that'd probably take a few months, 20 weeks of of common labor to be able to pay this debt back. So the, the, the thought here is unpayable debt, very payable debt. And then, and it says, and he laid hands on him to take him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet, and begged him, saying, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but he threw him in prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were grieved, and they came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, now here's where I think the key to this this story, as he said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt. I forgave you all that debt. What debt? That unpayable, the, in our story, like that six billion dollars being forgiven or canceled out because you begged me. And then he says, should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? Shouldn't you have had compassion on your fellow servant as I had on You, remember those verses we looked in Paul where he was telling us as God forgave us in is this always coming back to what God did for us. And then in verse 35, it says, so my heavenly father will also do to you if each of you from his heart, notice that word from his heart, because this is a heart issue, does not forgive his brother for his trespasses. Wow, this this story I think really sheds um, some light into how God sees forgiveness and, and unforgiveness for that matter. And going back and kind of echoing what Paul said about that forgiving people as God forgave us in Christ. It's a uh, part of our what changes somebody is when we look at what God has done for us, the debt that he canceled out for us. So here's the question um, that I think, I think is really relevant in all of this and how we view this and our, our debt being canceled. Um, and I want to ask this question and that's how big was the debt that God canceled for you? How big was your debt? I know it's easy to look around other, at other people in the world and go, wow, that guy was like really lost or really a sinner and we would think they had a really, really big debt. But maybe ours is not so bad, you know. A parking ticket on an otherwise clean driving record. You know, not that big of a deal, just slightly. And I think there's two views of your debt. And, and when we're talking about debt, it's, it's it, our trespasses um, and the need for forgiveness here. And there's your view of your debt. And there's God's view of your debt. And only one of them is right. And it's not my view or your view, right? The only right view is God's view, how he sees our debt, what he sees um, that was canceled at the cross. So that brings me to my last point, point. and that's this. A proper understanding of the gospel is essential. A proper understanding of the gospel is essential. And, and let me tell you why I, I really think that. Um, let me give you a verse that backs it up, and I'll, I'll explain that. In, in, in Luke chapter 7, Jesus said this. He said, uh, therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. Now listen to this. Luke seven forty-seven. But he who is forgiven little loves Little. He who is forgiven little loves little. As I read this, and it's easy maybe to kind of, you know, just kind of have this move past this without really getting the heart of what's saying here is do you notice that the love that somebody manifests, at least in this portion that Jesus said, is tied into the forgiveness that they received? I like to kind of reverse this and say it a couple different ways. He who is forgiven much loves much or he who loves little is forgiven little or he who loves much is forgiven much. So there's this link between us and our ability to receive the forgiveness that God gave us in, at, at the cross through his son through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ canceling out our debt And the more we're able to receive that forgiveness, the bigger we see our debt, the more we're going to be impacted, the more we're going to love, the more we're going to forgive. Forgiven people forgive a lot. People who are forgiven a lot, they forgive a lot. People who are loved a lot and recognize God's love, they extend that love to, to others as well. So, the, 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 when I say a proper understanding of the gospel is essential, and even the reason I was talking about that story, about the, the um, about the servant here, um, the unforgiving servant, is maybe the size of our debt, maybe we view the debt too small. Maybe we, if I could say it that way, maybe we don't see just how lost we were. Before Christ. And I know we tend to look at somebody that maybe hit like rock bottom, it's easier to see it. But it's hard when you grow up in Orange County and you're maybe doing well and you've got a degree and a family and maybe even a house and we look at somebody that's living a very respectable life and we don't think of them as being as lost as the drug dealer that's on the street that's or the murderer. We kind of put them in these two different categories. And yeah, there's there's a, there are degrees of sins and things like that. But I think the point here is we need to realize how different desperate we need to be saved. If we recognize how lost we were that we were dead in our trespasses and sins and we needed the Lord to come in and rescue us and redeem us that all of us had gone astray that we were lost and in need of this forgiveness and savor. And when we recognize that what God did it really is good news. It's gospel. But here's the thing. If we skip over the bad news and, and you try to give somebody just good news sometimes it doesn't seem that good. But I'm convinced that a proper understanding of the gospel, when you recognize that how, how lost we were without Christ in this world, and he had mercy and, and stepped in and redeemed us and saved us, and when we recognize how much he did for us and how big our debt was and how lost we were without him, it changes us. Just like this in Luke seven forty seven. Who He who is forgiven little loves little, but I believe that the exact opposite is true. He who is forgiven much... Loves much. When I see how much God forgave me at the cross, that's a proper understanding of the gospel. A gospel-centered Christian always sees what God, filters the life through what God did through us at the cross through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and our debt being canceled. When we get that type of view of what God did for us, how could we hold on to these petty little debts that other people Um, have wronged us with. And remember, not all debts are petty. There are some really harsh and terrible things that we've done or that have been done to us in our life. But the cross is more powerful than what anybody could do to you. The blood of Jesus is more powerful, speaks a better word. It's more powerful than any wrong has the power to overcome any sin. It's all powerful. And uh, tonight, today, as we're looking at this verse, you know, it made me kind of uh, think that I hope in my life, I always see uh, I'm a, what I would call a gospel sinner Christian. I would always remember what God did for me at the cross or the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ because when we live life through that lens, it changes us. It makes us more loving. It makes us more kind. It makes us more forgiving. Because he who's forgiven little loves little, but he who's forgiven much loves much. And I want to encourage us today that hopefully uh, the cornerstone in our extended family that we are some of the most forgiving, loving, gracious people that, that in our community. And we have an opportunity, like we talked about a choice. Remember, we talked about three things, kind of recapping the eight. Bitterness is a choice. Forgiveness is not optional. And a proper understanding of the gospel is essential. And when we take those truths and apply them to our lives, um, it changes us. And could you imagine what our community would look like, what the cornerstone uh, church would look like, what your life would look like, your circles of influence would look like if each of us were forgiving, the way Jesus forgave us, we hold zero grudge, zero bitterness, zero anger towards others. We release it because in perspective, we compare it to what God did for us. That's, I don't know about you, but that's the way that I want to live. Um, we're going to go ahead and close in prayer. So um, I just want to encourage you, even as we're talking about bitterness and unforgiveness, um, you may be thinking, yeah, but Pastor Scott, you don't know what this person did to me. This person really, really hurt me. This person really, really damaged me. And I would say, you know what? You're right, I don't know. But God does. God knows every single thing you've been through, every incident. And I do know even in Naomi's case, when she chose bitterness, she couldn't see the end of her story. And and, and if you read on and you know the story, uh, Ruth later on, um, she marries uh, Boaz, who, uh, I believe they have Obed, who then has Jesse, who then has David, the king in the line of the Messiah. God was taking. God wasn't done with that family story, and he was redeeming that story, and there was going to be good that comes out of that. There was going to be salvation that came out of that. There was going to be blessing to many people through David and through his line, ultimately Christ. And you're right, I may not know all the things and details of your story, but God does, and he's not done with that story yet. So I want to encourage you today, if you're dealing with bitterness or unforgiveness, let it go. Ultimately, you lose. There's nothing that, um, when we try to hold on to that, we lose, and we lose. And luckily, um, we have a God that is so forgiving and so gracious and set such an amazing example to us that he'll help you overcome that so that's my prayer and let's let's pray lord we come before you today Father, and I pray for each and every person that can hear my voice, Lord, I pray that as uh, this topic, as we're talking about um, a better way and uprooting bitterness from our life, Lord, I pray that we would be gospel-centered Christians, Lord, that we always keep what you did for us through your death, burial, resurrection for our sins, the forgiveness you gave us, Lord, what you did for us, Lord, in front of us, Lord, that we never lose sight of that and we filter every detail of our life, through your love and your grace and your mercy that you extend to us. Lord, I pray that if any of us are holding on to bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness, Lord, I pray that we release that to you right now. And even just take a second, even as I was being prayed over that night when I was 19 and not realizing that there was something deep in my heart, maybe God's revealing something to you right now. Someone close to you, a loved one, a spouse, a a son, a daughter, that you need to let some things go. Remember that verse said, Um, if you don't forgive them from your heart. It's a heart issue. Some of them may have, may not even be along uh, around anymore and part of your life, but you need to release it between you and the Lord. And maybe the Lord's prompting you right now. Let the Holy Spirit work as we're praying in your, in your life right now. Pray that you would be released from that. The Bible says where the Spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. So I pray that God is freeing you and releasing you from bitterness, from anger, from rage, whatever it is that's holding you captive. Be free in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you guys. I hope you have a wonderful uh, rest of your day here and wanted to encourage you to join us on Wednesday night for our midweek service. Um, Seven o'clock, we'll be going, uh, continuing our study in the book of Acts. Have a blessed day and hope we see you Wednesday.